It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I have titled this podcast, Hidden Mysteries of Ancient Altars, because right after God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, that fiery display that consumed the mountain and the audible voice of God like thunder declared the Ten Mandates, the Ten Commandments that his people must abide by, he then gave them directions for an altar which is a place where human beings are reconciled to God because God knew that they would fall short of his expectations. And immediately he wanted to make a way for them to be restored because that is the heart of God. But there are some details, some very profound details about that altar design that speak to us prophetically. And I'm going to get to that more toward the end of this podcast. But first, let me show you how it ties in with our spiritual identity as sons and daughters of God. We actually bear a title that connects us to an altar. Let's read it right now. It's Joel chapter 1, verse 13. Gird up and lament, priests, howl, ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, ministers of my God, for the food offering and the drink offering are held back from the house of your God. There's a lot of meat right in that statement, but the main thing I want to focus on is that the priests are referred to as ministers of the altar. So a priest who ministers at the altar of God is like a connecting link between eternity and time, between heaven and earth, between the perfection and righteousness of heaven as compared to the imperfection and unrighteousness of the earth. The priest stands between light and darkness and becomes a catalyst for change. The priest is empowered by God in order to help others bridge the gap. And there is a gap between heaven and earth between God and lost humanity. And someone who has a priest mindset is the kind of person who lives at an altar, who stays at an altar, because the people came back and forth to the tabernacle later on in the history of Israel, but the priests remained there when they were on duty, when they were serving in that area. And that's the kind of attitude we should have, that every day, We're abiding in the presence of God. We're staying there with an altar mindset and heart set to connect people with the Most High. So God said, gird up and lament, priests, howl, ministers of the altar. I don't find too many people praying to that depth of emotion any longer. I saw it many times, many times, years ago in our tent meetings, our revival meetings, our camp meetings where people would gather together and seek God sometimes for an hour 
at a time they would be on their faces in an altar. And listen, the word altar means a place of elevation, but it also means a place of sacrifice. And the two go together because when you sacrifice your life on an altar, when you present yourself a living sacrifice to him, you become the priest and the sacrifice. That's when God elevates you because the Bible says very clearly, he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now let's go to another verse in Joel's prophecy. That was Joel chapter 1, verse 13, but let's go to chapter 2, verse 17, where the prophet said, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? Well, how powerfully that fits with what's going on in the world right now. Because there are people of this world, many of whom are atheistic or Luciferian in their worldview or agnostics that certainly do not have an appreciation of the Bible. Many globalists who want to subject the world to a communistic type of society. And I could go on and on and on, but my main point is the prayer of the priests at the altar was, spare your people, God, that the nations should not rule over them. In other words, there are forces at play right now, and behind it all is a satanic agenda of bringing darkness in on this generation that wants to rule over the church, that wants to subject the church to its agenda, that wants to smother the church in its influence, the influence of darkness and deception and delusion. Well, who's going to make a difference and prevent that from happening? Those who are called ministers of the altar in Joel chapter 1, verse 13. Because if you qualify as a priest in the new covenant, you also bear the other titles that rested upon priests in the Old Testament era. And one of them was ministers of the altar. Let me establish the fact that born-again, blood-washed children of God in the New Testament are called to be priests. 1 Peter 2.5 refers to us as a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 refers to us as a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 talks about how he has washed us in his blood and made us kings and priests. And then Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this priesthood is not a temporary calling where our primary focus is reconciling fallen human beings to a holy God, which is certainly part of it now. That part will be done away with in the unfolding ages to come. But we will never cease to be priests because a priest's primary, fundamental, and first responsibility is to minister to God in worship, in adoration, in praise, in thanksgiving, to meet God's need, and that is the need for fellowship 
with those that he has brought into existence. God desires, God hungers, God thirsts for fellowship. And we who are of a priestly mindset are sensitive to that, and we desire to meet God's need. But at the same time, if we minister to God, out of ministry to God is drawn an empowerment to minister to people. And if we minister to people, the place we bring them or connect them to God is at an altar. Now, many times that's literal in a church, but it's also something that can be spiritually applied. In the Old Testament, it was at a literal altar. In the Tabernacle of Moses and the Temple of Solomon, it was the first article of furniture you came to in the Holy Sanctuary. In the Tabernacle area for Moses, in the Temple area for Solomon, the first item you came to was the altar. Because you can't get any further with God. You can't go any deeper in God until you deal with what has to happen at an altar. And so if we're ministers of the altar, we can't tell other people to do something we haven't done yet. A true minister of the altar is someone who is sacrificed to God, your will, your hopes, your dreams, your goals in life, your choices in life. It's all on the altar. Your possessions, your money, your future, your destiny, it's all on the altar. And then once you fulfill that, you can bring others to the experience. It's not morbid. It's not terrible. It's not just sorrowful. It's not just painful. It's wonderful. Because once you make that decision of knowing Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings and being offered as a sacrifice, then you can know him in the power of his resurrection. And you can know the greater and deeper and more powerful things of God. But this is the first piece of furniture and the first step toward going deep in God, being on the altar and then becoming a minister of the altar. In the Old Testament, a priest was someone who stayed at the altar and had this awe-filled experience every day of seeing holy fire burning on the altar. See, that fire fell from heaven to begin with. And then God told the priest not to let the fire go out. And they kept fuel on the altar where they kept the fire burning. So the priests were constantly in the presence of this visible burning manifestation of the divine. And they would take that fire and light the incense in the holy place, and light the menorah lampstand. So they were constantly in contact with the fire of God. And anyone who claims to be a minister of the altar needs to constantly be in touch with the fire of God. That, that means praying until you burn inside praying until you burn with passion for God, burn with passion for purpose, burn with passion to be holy, burn with passion to overcome the flesh and the world. You have to stay at that place of intimacy where the fire envelops you. The priests of the Old Testament just saw the fire. The priests of the New Testament are consumed with fire because we're baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Now, the altar has changed significantly because now it's not a brazen altar like it was in the tabernacle of Moses where animals are sacrificed. Well, what is our altar then? Is it just the altar in a church? No, that's a symbolic representative thing, a connecting point between God and human beings. But spiritually speaking, our altar is revealed in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. That verse says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What's that talking about? They have no right to eat because there were certain sacrifices like peace offerings that Israelites would offer up and the priests and the people would eat of the sacrifice right there in the tabernacle area. So it was like having a feast with God, but that was under the old Testament rules and laws and ways of doing things. But the writer of Hebrews said, we have an altar that they have no right to eat at who serve the tabernacle. In other words, if they're still depending on the law to gain access to God and to be righteous in the sight of God, then they can't eat of the new covenant realities that we can eat of. They can't partake of what God has supplied to us in this new era. But if you move into the new covenant, then you leave behind some of the stipulations that were part of the old covenant. And you earn the right to partake of all the benefits of the new covenant. Well, what is this New Testament altar? Hebrews 13.10 again says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What is our altar? If the altar in the Old Testament was where the sacrifice was presented to God, then the altar of the New Testament is Golgotha, the place of a skull, the place where Jesus was offered up on a cross. That's our altar. And in a spiritual sense, we can go to Calvary, we can go to Golgotha, the place of a skull, the place where Jesus bore the mental misery of the entire human race, became sin for us, tasted death for every man. We go to that altar in order to cancel and conquer all the enemies of our souls, all the things that fight against us daily, the things that want to ensnare our minds, contaminate our souls, fill our emotions with negativity. We go to the altar and we find deliverance. And if we're ministers of the altar, then we're actively involved telling people in this world that your answer is not Islam. Your answer is not Hinduism. Your answer is not Buddhism. Your answer is not emptying your mind through meditation or chanting mantras for hours at a time. Because all these religions and others are men's attempt to reach God. But Jesus was God's attempt to reach man. And when God came down in the form of a man, he created an altar where we can go and reconnect with him. Isn't that powerful? You're a minister of that altar. I'm a minister of that altar. The word minister simply means servant. In fact, the same Hebrew word translated minister is translated servant. Same in the Greek. And so it means you serve God and serve people because you give them the knowledge they need in order to bring forth sanity in an insane world, stability in an unstable world. God, what a privilege, what an honor, what a heavy responsibility. No wonder the 
Bible encouraged priests, ministers of the altar in Joel's writings to lament, which means to grieve over past errors and to grieve over negative present conditions and to howl and to weep between the porch and the altar because we are game changers, so to speak. Those who have the minister of the altar mindset are catalysts for change. The biggest shifts, paradigm shifts in society that have ever taken place took place because behind the scenes, in secret, there were intercessors seeking the face of God that caused the first great awakening to take place, the second great awakening to take place, that changed society and changed the world as a whole forever. I shudder to think what kind of condition this world would be in had there not been people with this kind of mindset to be ministers of the altar. Now, I told you at the beginning of this podcast that I would share at the end or toward the end of the presentation what God did right after the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai, how he gave the design for an altar, the initial design for this place to meet God was very, very simple. Let me read it to you. It's Exodus chapter 20, verses 24 through 26. In the beginning of Exodus 20, you have the story of the Ten Commandments, how these commandments, the Decalogue, how it was given from God to provide moral parameters and boundaries not to just control people by keeping them in a pen, so to speak, but to protect people from adversarial things on the outside, predatorial things on the outside. See, God didn't give the Ten Commandments to keep people under his control. He gave the Ten Commandments to prevent them from being under the devil's control. There's a huge difference, a huge difference. But listen to what God said, because right after he gave the Ten Commandments, he gave a design for an altar because God knew we would fail. And that's the heart of God. He wants to be able to restore his people. And there are seven points in these three verses. I'll read all three verses and then break it down. God said, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Wow, what a rich passage of scripture. Let me break it down. First, God said an altar of earth. So that's not expensive and that's not hard to do. It's not ornately designed and it doesn't have valuable materials that have to be procured or bought somewhere. Anybody can dig up a bunch of dirt and pile it up into a mound. Why would God ask for that? Because it's his way of saying, number one, that no human effort is excellent enough to achieve or to earn an audience with the creator. And when people build huge cathedrals and ornately designed buildings and all this religious paraphernalia, sometimes 
in their minds, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, they think somehow that provides a sacred space that would attract God. God's more attracted to humility, which is what earth really means. See, the word humility comes from humus that means dirt. So God is saying, get down so humble, you recognize you came out of the dirt, you're going back to it, and you need God in between those two points. And I think it was God's way of saying that no one is withheld. Because if it had to be ornately designed, then only the talented could get to God. If it had to be expensively designed, only the wealthy could get to God. But if it's an altar of earth, the worst person, the best person, the most intelligent person, the person that's almost what some would call an ignoramus, the person who is utterly poor or utterly rich, they can all come to God equally. The ground is level at the cross, is the old saying. An altar verse you shall make for me and sacrifice on it, sacrifice on it. You and I cannot come to God as ministers of the altar unless we have a mindset to sacrifice. And if we can't find anything or any place in our life where there's evidence of sacrifice, then we need to review our walk with God. And God said, on it you'll offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. I won't go into that. Your sheep and your oxen. So those are two of other animals. There's other kinds of animals that could be offered on an altar too. But God mentioned two specifically because a sheep is one who has a submissive attitude toward the shepherd to be led. An oxen, or oxen rather, an ox is a burden bearer or one who pulls a load. So God is saying if you're going to sacrifice yourself on an altar, be like a sheep and be led by the shepherd submissive to his will, or be like an ox where you're willing to bear the burden of lost humanity and bear the burden of representing God in this world. And then God said, if you make an altar of earth, he said very mysterious words, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you. Two things there. In other words, he says, if you give me a proper place to visit you, if you create an altar in your heart, of course, this is all spiritual now. If you create an altar in your life, and sometimes you should have a set place that you go to, physically speaking, to seek God, where you have this internal altar. But God says, when I find that kind of altar place, I will record my name. I'll write my signature over that life. In other words, I'll get personally involved and I'll put my stamp of approval there. I'll also authorize that person to represent me in the world and I'll give evidence of intimate connection here. I'll record my name. And he said, I will come to you. If you have an altar mindset as a person who first sacrifices yourself on an altar, then you become a minister of the altar. God says in no uncertain terms, I will come to you. And he said, I will bless you. If you want to be blessed, try these steps first. And then he said, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. I believe the altar represents our approach to God. And to build it of stones in their natural shape speaks of a God-shaped approach to him, a God-shaped approach to religion and relationship with the Most High. 
to lift up our tool upon the stones and chip them into the size or the shape we want speaks of religion. People taking truth and chipping off what they don't want and then fashioning it according to what they want their religion to be. And God says, you profaned it. You have profaned it. And he said, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed. Now, of course, that was practical to begin with, but then there's a metaphorical aspect of it too, a symbolic aspect of it. Because if you mount up by steps to an altar, then you think that you're doing something to qualify as you ascend up those steps to commune with God. And in essence, God is saying, I don't want you to think that anything you do can give you an audience with God. It's all by grace. It's all by mercy. It's all by his goodness that he would come all the way down to our level in order to lift us to his level. A few little steps on earth can't get you all the way to heaven if they're humanly devised religious steps that you and I may think qualify us. Now, there are certain attitudes we must have, repentance and humility and faith, in order for grace to come all the way down where we're at. But it's God's way of saying, keep it simple, keep it humble. Don't think that your efforts are going to earn you an audience because on their own, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Correct? And then he said that your nakedness may not be exposed. In other words, if you start saying, I'm righteous because I do this, I'm righteous because I do that, I'm righteous because I ascend up steps to this altar, then you're exposed as being unrighteous. You don't have your covering. Your covering is a robe of righteousness. God imparted righteousness, a gift of righteousness. But if you want to depend on your own righteousness, then you're naked before God. In essence, that's what he's saying symbolically and prophetically in this passage. Well, that's the first teaching on what it is to be ministers of the altar. Next week, I'm going to go into some of the altars that we find all through the Old Testament and what we can learn from them. I hope this has been a blessing. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.